the thing that's good and bad about a camera is it doesn't lie. The camera doesn't lie. If the camera can't see you feeling something in the moment, it's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to be your best work. It's going to be false. So to me, the magic of this whole thing is what happens in the moment you're doing it, the new idea that comes up, the freshness of that moment. To me, that's where things get really special. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you with me today, as always. And I may have what is about to be your favorite episode ever today. And here's why. My dear friend, Steve Bridgewater is with me today. And you've probably heard me talk about him before. Steve is the, well, he's semi-retired now, but he was the most sought after onset coach in Hollywood. He worked with Heath Ledger on The Joker, Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys. So many of your favorite people. He has worked with so many of your favorite shows, television and movies he has coached on. He's absolutely brilliant. And I'm so honored to have him here today. I'm even more honored to be doing a workshop with him. I have been wanting him to come to this space for a while now. And the other day he called me and he wanted me to work with one of his actors. And I said, okay. And we we got a conversation and we started talking about entrepreneurs and professionals and how I feel like his work would literally change the game in this space. Because I do. He is a master at movement and confidence and connection He teaches people how to literally use their eyes in such a way that draws everybody in. Not being stiff on camera, using your body and your gestures and your face in such a way that you are so captivating, just like what I do with the voice he does with confidence and eyes and body and movement. And we're going to teach this workshop together. June 22nd, the link to find out more information, or if you want to sign up to attend the workshop, go to CaptivateTheRoom.com forward slash celebrity. And I just can't tell you how excited I am for you to hear this conversation with him today. You can learn so much from him just by listening to his stories, but we're going to talk about eyes and the power of the eyes and movement and so many amazing things today. You are absolutely going to learn so much and love hearing from him. He's just the nicest, nicest guy, brilliantly talented. And and we, it's such a great story how we met. I think I was teaching in Texas. I was primarily working with actors at an acting studio And everybody said this guy named Steve Bridgewater was coming in from LA 
he came in on a regular basis to do workshops with everybody. And I thought, okay, great. And I didn't think anything else of it. And my phone started pinging. I started getting text. And all these actors were messaging me and they were messaging me saying, Steve Bridgewater wants to meet you. And I thought, okay, I wonder why. Well, turns out he said to these people right away, he could tell a difference in their voices. And he said, what has happened here? What has changed? Y'all sound great. And they all said, we've been working with Tracy. And he said, I want to meet this Tracy. So we met and he said, come to the workshop and teach with me. So the next two days I went down and we worked together and it was so cool because he would do his thing. He would get everybody absolutely rocking it on camera. And if you're not an actor, that's, I'm speaking to you because you still need to rock it on camera. You're on Zoom calls, you're on video, you're doing all the things. Well, you have to be. So he would get everybody set, moving like liquid gold on camera. And then I would swoop in and line the voice up with what he created, where people were just stunning. And yes, they were actors. And no, we're not going to turn you into actors if you come to the workshop. We're going to turn you into the star of your business so that you can shine as brightly as I desperately want you to. So you can stand there and command the space so that everybody wants to lean in because they feel so connected to you and so much more. So go to the link in the show notes. But let me tell you a little bit about Steve. Now, I know what I'm about to read does not even touch all the people he's worked with or all the shows he's been on. But just to give you a taste, he is a personal acting coach to many of the biggest names in film and television. His clients include Robert Patrick of Terminator, X-Files, and Scorpion, Benicio Del Toro, 21 Grams, Traffic, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Jeff Bridges, Heath Ledger, Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy, and some of his project credits include 12 Monkeys, The Fisher King, Mississippi Burning, Roseanne, and Forrest Gump, just to name a few. He also serves as a casting consultant to various A-list directors, network executives, and he directs and produces as well. You are going to fall in love with Steve and all the incredible stories he tells in today's episode and all the wonderful wisdom he shares. Let's head on over to the show. Steve, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you with me today. I am all a Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this has been a long time coming. You did not know that for a very long time I was thinking, man, if I could just get Steve Bridgewater to come and work with entrepreneurs and professionals, this would change their lives. Now, you had no idea. You're just going on about your life. And I'm plotting and planning over here to get you, to get you in this arena. And, and the reason is because what you have to offer, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about all these nuanced things that will literally change the trajectory 
of your of entrepreneurs' business, of professionals' lives. And there's they are things just like voice. Listeners, these are things that you've never thought about. Maybe you've thought about, but you've never been exposed to the kind of expertise you're going to hear today around incredibly nuanced things that are going to help you connect with your audience more, that are going to help you increase your revenue, that are going to help you increase your following. These are the things that make all the difference. And and I'm, as I've mentioned in the intro, I, I've known Steve Bridgewater for several years now, absolutely love and admire him and his work so much. And I'm still stunned at how much in alignment our work really is. So I wanted to bring him on the show. We are actually going to be doing a workshop together. I'll mention it again at the end of the show. If you have to jump off, I don't want you to miss this because there's nothing like it on the internet. This is all about movement, movement and voice integration, really speaking to your listener in such a way that they know you're the person to change their life. So get ready, get a pen, get a paper, because you're going to learn a lot. You just listen to this conversation. Now, Steve, what I like to always do is start with a little bit of background. Now, what is the work that you do? And I know that you're you're semi-retired or retired, but what what would you call the work? Talk to us about the work that you did and how you got into that work. Well, I've been in the film business for almost nearly 40 years now, and I've done a multiple duties through the years and liked them all. Started as an actor, and when I moved to L.A., uh, I then had a uh, very early on when I decided to become an actor, I landed a eight year contract to do commercial endorsements, which allowed me to have enough money to pay the bills and move to L.A. So I was very blessed and fortunate to have that happen. So as an actor, you have a lot of downtime. So I went back to UCLA film school and um, studied everything else so that I didn't know anything about producing, directing, lighting. Uh, coaching, uh, drama school techniques. And uh, at one point, I had heard that uh, my favorite director in the film business was visiting from England into L.A. So I uh, wanted a way to meet him. So as a related incident at UCLA and the director's course, I had to make a short film. So I was thumbing through a lot of scripts, trying to figure out what to do. And so I found a script that I thought I could make into a short film, quality film. And I had already filmed that and recorded it and had it in my library. And when I heard this director was in town, I wanted to get him my short film. And his name was Terry Gilliam. And he was with the Monty Python troupe over in England and had done various movies such as Brazil. And, of course, the life of Brian and, and the Holy Grail and things like that. So I called every hotel in town and found out he was at the Mondrian. I then borrowed a FedEx uniform. And I had a friend who was a friend of a friend who knew Terry's uh, agent. So I got Jack Rapke from the uh, CAA agency stationery. 
and stuck my film in that guy's stationery and stuck it into a FedEx box and then put my FedEx uniform on and marched down to the Mondrian Hotel to deliver it. So when I uh, came to the hotel, of course, they tried to take the package from me at the front desk. I said, no, I've been given specific instructions to make sure this has been handed face to face. So I am gotten the okay to go up to his hotel room and I knock on the door and Warren Beatty answers the door. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I must be at the wrong room. He goes, no, no, this is Terry's room. And so Terry comes to the door and I hand him my box and I don't say what it is or anything. And I just hand it off and off I go. So about three or four days later, I get a phone call from Terry saying, who are you? I've seen your short film. Did you know that I was in town to take a meeting on the script you filmed? I said, I had no idea. Oh, wow. So just truly by coincidence, he was in town to uh, take meetings on what's called the Fisher King movie now. And he said, well, do you think you could work with Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams and a couple of the other cast members? Because you seem to have a, a gift working with actors. And so I said, sure, I'll be happy to. I think I can teach Jeff to be a disc jockey because I had been one. Mm. And that's when I started coaching. Wow. And that's that's what I uh, have been doing uh, as much as anything else in the film business since then. And so working with Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams led to other customers and other people. Terry uh, ended up doing movies with people like Heath Ledger and Brad Pitt and had me work with those gentlemen. So things turned out pretty good along that front. I continued to study techniques and things like that. But I think the bottom line was, is that everybody has individual needs and tastes and uh, problems. And so uh, you have, you have to be willing to float with that and see if you can come up with something because you're not, you don't always have the information when you first discover a problem. But one of one of the things I have noticed over that 30 year period of working with actors who became famous is a lot of common denominators. And so what I like to do is at least share those common denominators with anybody new that I work with so that they can take advantage of that and have an understanding of what it takes to achieve, you know, a high level of uh, actor work. Well, and that's, I, I love that. And I, and you have worked with some of the best, uh, somebody's got a favorite actor, I guarantee mm. you in the group of men and women that you have worked with. But sure. one of the things I, I want to point out to the listeners that you just said, and I think this is really important, there is a core bucket of things that you teach that we could call your own methodology, just like psychology of the voice is my own methodology. And it's based on what I, what I put out in the world and what worked and what didn't work. But one of the things that I think is so important that you said, besides that is everybody's different and Mm -hmm. everybody, it, it, everything is not a one size fits all way to implement, but there is a bucket of techniques that become critical to success. Now, how we get to that that success, we may adjust that technique a little right. bit, but you've got to have the technique. That that's what I heard you saying in all of that. And we're going to dive into some of those techniques. But is that 
Am I am I paraphrasing that okay? I think absolutely. I mean, I start with what I think are the common denominators that you can't ignore and that some people, most people, when I first start working for them, haven't thought or given much thought to what I have to say in those levels. And so I think they find that that makes a difference. Um, I'll give you an example. Like one of the actors that I work with is uh, somebody that probably not everybody knows, but his name's Robert Patrick. And Robert was the Terminator. You know, he was the police officer who melted. And, and uh, so that that made Robert famous. And uh, he was unknown. Uh, a lot of people didn't know him in the business. So when he got that part, that's what made him known. And so then after a few years went by, I ran into him and he wasn't working as often as he wanted to. And he was worried and concerned about it. He would get a film here and there. And, uh, you know, he just he, he was a little bit on the panic side because he didn't feel like there was any steadiness of uh, work coming his way. So I, I said to him, I go, look, let me let me go watch some of the stuff you've done since Terminator and see what's going on with you. So I went and studied about six other movies that he had been in. And when I came back to tell him to report into him, I said, look, you don't think you're ever going to work again, do you? And he said, no. I go, well, it's time for you to recognize that somebody's always going to hire you. And you need to learn to trust that. So he lacked confidence in that on that level. And I said, one of the things you have got to learn to do is know that you are going to work. And you need to grab the confidence that that can give you in your auditions and in your film work. Because when you're, when you're doing work now, you're trying too hard. You're mm -hmm. pushing it. Mm -hmm. And he used to wrinkle up his brow and, and have all this twitchiness in his face. And there was no state of relaxation. There was no calmness about how he approached something. So we kind of got working on that and kicked all that out. And right about then, about oh, maybe a month later, I said, I know the perfect thing for you to do. And he goes, what's that? I go, you should do The Sopranos. He goes, well, no one's ever been hired from Los Angeles to be in The Sopranos. I go, I know. That's what I think. But I think, I think David Chase will hire you if we can get you the right audition. So we talked to the agents and uh, I had a friend who knew David Chase, who was the producer of The Sopranos. And so Robert auditioned. He did a wonderful job. He relaxed and he got the part. But as he got that part, he got an offer to go do another movie for six hundred thousand dollars. And the uh, Sopranos job was scale like he would make maybe. Four thousand dollars. Wow, that's a big difference. So, so you got six hundred thousand dollars being offered, and you got maybe a four or five thousand dollar job with the Sopranos. And I can remember his wife and I asking me what what should they do, and I go, Robert, he's to do the Sopranos. Forget the other job, because as they say in our business, the Sopranos was an industry job. Everybody in the industry watched the Sopranos. I said, this will remind everybody that you exist in our business. You will work a bunch if the Sopranos job works out good. So yeah, <laughs> he took the Sopranos job and uh, he was in a couple of episodes. 
but when they when you go to a to a new show or a new movie at the beginning there's a rehearsal period but in television there's only like one day you have a rehearsal with all everybody sitting around the table going through the script and i go look robert your scenes are all with james gandolfini he's the star of the show i want you at the end of the day when you guys break up to tell james gandolfini you better bring your a game tomorrow <laughs> He goes, I can't tell James again, Fini that. <laughs> Said he'll kick my butt. I go, Robert, have we gained confidence or not? Yeah. He says, okay, I'll tell him. So he told him, James, bring your head game tomorrow. And James got mad. Oh, <laughs> he was really? offended. He was really, yeah. he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll bring my head game tomorrow. Don't you worry. And they had some of the best scenes I've, you know, that Robert had ever done. They, they had fun. In the end, they were great friends, and and it, it turned out great. But when that aired, those two episodes aired with Robert in it, his phone never stopped ringing again. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. That was just basically a level of how do you have confidence? Yeah. How do you relax? You know? Yeah. And I want to I want to say something about what you just said. That's such a valuable story for the listeners because confidence becomes this issue. And one of the things that that I will a term that they have heard me say is act as if the outcome's yours. And I say don't be an actor mm-hmm. unless you want to be, but you have to enter the video, you have to enter the sales negotiation, you have to enter the class believing you can do it, believing you're going to have the words, believing you know what you're talking about. And that's the first step in the game, right? No question. And and, and I think it's true of any business that you're in where it's like, here's the bottom line, especially if you're in a position of being the boss, you have to be likable to get the best out of the people. And if you're likable, there will be success because people will take the hill for you. You know, there's a great book I would recommend to anybody who's the boss, and it's called It's Your Ship. Mm. Have, you ever, have you heard of it? I'm not. I, well, I may have heard of it, but I haven't read okay, it. Okay, but it's written by a Navy officer named Captain Abrashoff, and he was given the command of a ship. And as you know, things are regimented and there's lots of rules in the military about how to do things. And he just decided he was going to find a way to break the rules without getting in trouble. So one of the first things that he did was when a ship gets ready to leave its main port, it takes weeks to load the fuel and all the supplies in. Right. And that's where the guys live. That's where their families are. And he gathered a bunch of the low-ranking guys, and he goes, look, this can take sometimes three or four weeks to load this ship. How do we cut it down to two? Because if we can cut it down to two, you have two more weeks of doing nothing but being with your families. Mm -hmm. Oh, they love the idea of that. Mm -hmm. So they got together, started putting their thinking caps on, kind of changed how the business was run in the Navy. And they got that ship loaded in two weeks. But that was just a really, to me, that was like a really interesting thing about having the boss capture the imagination of the people who are under him. Yeah. And picking their brain 
and letting them be imaginative and curious about how do we fix this problem. And he just kind of, while he was in that command, he w- was constantly doing things like that, you know. Yeah. You know, when they when they would set sail uh, and move over to Europe with the ship, they would take ports and, you know, like great cities in Spain and things like that. But the guys hardly had time to see anything because it was going to take two or three weeks to reload the ship. So they figured out how to get that ship loaded in four days and go play in Spain mm-hmm. the rest of the time. I mean, they just, just another thing after that, after another, that this guy, he, he broke what I call, he was out of the box, broke the yeah. rules, but wasn't going to break a rule that was going to get him trouble. Yeah. And the Navy in the end started to pay attention to how he was doing things and, and very much adapted to what he how he how he yeah. was managing his troops. Yeah, and and I it's such a great story, and I, I want to read that book. But as you were telling that story, I couldn't help but be thinking about what you just said at the end of it, which is out of the box, and mm. and and where I want to steer this ship, no pun intended, is I want you to to tell the story about, if you will that you told the other day in my group about Heath Ledger and that Joker scene. And the reason I want you to tell that story is because what everybody struggles with in the entrepreneurial space and even professionals and executives, you're not making videos, but you are on Zoom. My entrepreneurs, critical, critical, critical piece of their success now more than ever is video. And everybody locks up tighter than a drum, gets in their head, trying to get the words right, shrinks down to the size of the screen, plays small, and nobody shows up as who they really are. And we can, and and I can say to them, well, just relax. And that's kind of like, well, just be tall, Tracy. You're short in, in many, many ways. So I want you to talk about ways to do that. And and I think that Joker scene story is so good of an example of how critical relaxation is and what can come out of it. Well, I had met Heath. uh, Again, I was doing a Terry Gilliam movie and Heath had his own uh, coach uh, named Jerry Grinnell, who lives in Ireland. And uh, Terry Gilliam hired Heath. So Heath came with his own coach. But uh, Terry thought I should work with him as well which I really think Terry was, it was his idea having fun. There'll be these two coaches that will fight like cats and dogs and I'll have a little entertainment, but Jerry and I became the best of friends. So as I started to observe how Heath worked, he worked way too hard. I mean, he was, they have what they call, you know, developing a history where you give your character a a historical data, you know, what was he like? How did he grow up? Things like that. But then he was the, like, if Heath would play, it was going to play a cop, he would have to go be a cop somewhere and ride with the cops and train with the cops and then have to do all this work, right? I kind of don't think that's all that necessary in my world. I think you have to, you're better off getting somebody back to the, to where they were as a little kid when they could pretend to be somebody and not think about it. Or Heath would want to think about it a lot. So I get this phone call one day and Heath says, you got to get over here to my house right away. Jerry's in Ireland and I need to talk to somebody. So I went over to the house. He goes, I think I've just made the biggest mistake of my life. And he goes, I go, what's that? He goes, I just took the role of the Joker. 
And I think it's a mistake. I don't even have a clue how to do it or anything. And I said to Heath, I go, well, let's go bowling. And he goes, oh, okay. That, well, how, what's bowling have to do? I go, not a thing. Let's go have some fun. Because what I'm thinking is he needs to get to a place where he can just completely relax and not worry about anything. And I said, by the way, Jerry's one of the greatest Alexander Technique coaches, which is kind of a yoga for actors. But I think it's applicable to anybody who has to do any public speaking is to get involved in Alexander Technique, which is a series of exercises. The bottom line is to get you to the point where you love your body, you're comfortable in your own skin. And you're not, just another ingredient that adds to confidence is that do these exercises. And um, I said, you need to concentrate on Alexander with Jerry more and learn to relax and not think about any of this and just go be in the moment, Mm -hmm. play in the moment. So when he had to play the scene where he's in the scene in the Joker, where he's playing with all the bad guys in the same scene, he called me the night before they were going to film that. He goes, can we talk about this scene? I go, no, (laughs) (laughs) you need to go do Alexander and hang out with Jerry's kids and play video games and just make sure you have your lines down and you know them by heart and just go play, play like a little kid at recess. Tomorrow you're an astronaut. Tomorrow you're a cowboy, whatever. Just go play and let the moment take care of itself. You're a smart guy. You have a lot of intelligence. You'll have creative ideas come up in the moment. We don't need to pre-plan them. You have a speech to give (laughs) or you're in front of people or in front of the camera. If you rehearse it and then try to repeat how that rehearsal went, it'll become technical. The camera doesn't lie. That's right. And, and when you're I, just when you're just what, repeating something, it's false. It's not real. Right. And there's a disconnect. And my audience will know I don't like them over. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I don't like that because if they phone it in, there's a disconnect. And that's what yeah. you're saying. You're calling it technical, not real. But we can't feel anything from that. We can't connect to that. You have to feel it. Right. It can't be rehearsed. Feelings can't be rehearsed in the, in the way to be real. And I think a lot of people can get there in a lot of different ways, but just knowing that can make a huge difference. Yeah. So it's like, how do you, how do you, well, I'm all for being really familiar with the words, mm-hmm. but there comes the magic and particularly in acting happens in the moment as it's happening, not last night in the rehearsal. Nope. I mean, I, I'll give you a perfect example is uh, I was on the, uh, a film with Brad Pitt and uh, I didn't rehearse a lot with him. We mostly just talk about things. And uh, he wanted to rehearse the night before I left because he was going to film a scene. And um, he was going to fil- film a scene the next day, but I would already be gone. I would have left It's towards the end of the movie. So we went down to the set where this was going to be filmed and he, he was wonderful in the rehearsal. I go, look, I want you to remember one thing. What we did tonight is not to be repeated. I want you to throw all this away and trust that tomorrow something else will happen the way it's supposed to. I get on a plane to go from uh, 
Baltimore to back to LAX. And I live two hours from LAX up in the mountains. And I walk, I've done the, I've done the five hour flight home. I've done the two hour drive up to the house in the mountains. And as I open the door, my wife says, don't put down your bags. You're going back. I said, why? He says, well, call the director. He'll tell you. So I called, I found out and he goes, Hey, this guy stunk today. Mm. He was just awful. And, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to be on the midnight plane and I'll, I'll stop by the room to see the dailies, which is the, you know, the film being developed that you look at it. So I fly back and get off the plane and go straight to what they call the editing room and to watch what had gotten filmed. And, uh, Terry was right. He was repeating his rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it, so it was stiff and awkward stiff. and not good. And it just looked fake. The thing that's good and bad about a camera is it doesn't lie. Yeah. The camera doesn't lie. If the camera can't see you feeling something in the moment, it's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to be your best work. It's going to be false. So the, to me, the magic of this whole thing uh, is what happens in the moment you're doing it. The new idea that comes up the freshness of that moment. That's to me, that's where things get really special in public speaking. I mean, one of the greatest public speakers was Kennedy, John Kennedy, mm -hmm. the president, but he had, he was in the moment. Mm -hmm. He had a, he had knew what he wanted to say and how, he, but he didn't always say it the way he thought he would. Well, and that's really what I teach people. I talk to so much and, and it's just so cool to me how aligned this is. You're talking about actors and scripts and I'm talking about speak from your heart, know the baseline, mm. the message, the core of what you want to say. But the second you get up in your head trying to get the words perfectly, it's over. You have to trust that you are going to have the words. You have to trust that you're going to say what they need to hear in the moment. Now that's a little different than what you're saying about the actors, but they, but it's the same. It really it is, is the, the same. same, right? You have to be, you have to be in the moment or it's just not real. Not real. And we can detect that. We can mm. detect that before we even process it subconsciously. We go, yeah, I, I can't connect to them. Yeah. And part of what's important too, is to learn to relax in front of a camera and be comfortable with the camera and treat the camera as a friend. And I've heard you give techniques on this. And I, I know that I talked something similar where I talk about, imagine you're talking to somebody you know, like, and trust, but what, what is it? What would be your go-to technique for people who they go, I don't, I don't want to do video. I feel stiff. I feel, because it's not an option for them not to be on video anymore. Those days are over. Well, you just have to get over the idea that it's a camera in front of you. You just have to, you, you just have to, be likable to that best friend. Camera does not lie. And if you're uncomfortable with the presence of that camera, then we've got a problem. And that is just some, and I just think there's a variety of ways to get over that, but you've got to conquer it. Yeah. Okay. You have to be likable, particularly in my business as an actor or as a personality, you have to be likable. I mean, even like Anthony Hopkins, uh, when he was in the Silence of the Lambs, he's playing the bad guy. 
But what's beautiful about Anthony is he's likable. <laughs> he's, he's interesting. Likeable. You yeah. have to tell the you have to tell the story. I see, and, and we can learn so much just from hearing your stories. But tell the story about Silence of the Lambs and what he was actually thinking about. You told that story okay, the other so day. That's such a good story. One of the things that uh, is that Anthony is really good at what we call camera technique. And, you know, the eyes are an important thing, you know, with, uh, with any actor. You know, we have to see your eyes. If, if, if there's one thing that I can, that, and I've, I've done this in a laboratory test with a bunch of people, on uh, the connectivity to the audience is you have to give your eyes. And that's, if I, if I had thing that something that's at the top, it's that. And as soon as you take your eyes away, you're disconnected. Well, anyway, if you go back and look at that first scene that Anthony's in, he's very charming, but we never lose his eyes. He does turn for a second to grab the painting, but he doesn't give up his eyes while he's talking to the camera. And so I asked him, I go, you know, because I met him at another time. I said, what were you thinking about when you did that scene? He goes, I was thinking about my most favorite thing in life. I go, "What, what is it? He goes, driving down the coastal highway with my top down in my car. And that's what he had initially, basically, in his mind for the mood of what he was about to do. A very happy thing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is also interesting because he's the bad guy. Yeah. But he's not playing it. He's not playing it stereotype. He's out of the box. He's playing almost the most likable guy in the movie. (laughs) Right. Right. I think that's, I think this is so powerful. And I know that the entrepreneurs and the business professionals listening that can relate because they're thinking about what's the boss thinking? What's the, what am I getting it right? You know, they're thinking about all these things that that is not getting them the result that they want. But I want to jump back for a minute to eyes because this is where it doesn't matter if it's a corporate person I'm working with. It doesn't, and every single entrepreneur that I constantly am giving video feedback on, one, they're moving their eyes constantly, moving, look to the left, look to the left, look to the right, look down, look over, look. And then the second thing is they're moving all over the screen. They like look like bobbleheads. And those are deal breakers, aren't they? It doesn't just, it's not an actor that just has to have great eyes. It's bigger than that. I want you to talk to that because this is what I see as one of the biggest problems that my people are struggling with in relation to their voice. Well, um, if you have busy eyes and busy physicality when you're filming, then you're going to lose the audience. They're going to disconnect. And busy eyes, and I and I talked to this, and I think this is, this is what you're saying. And it doesn't matter if you're on Zoom, corporate person, or if you're in a video. Looking away, looking away, looking away, looking away, looking away. <laughs> it's, it's the death of being connected to your audience or to the person you're trying to warm up to. It's yeah. just, it's, it's suicide. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I did a test 
I mean, it's not that scientific, but I did a group of actors that believed in what I believe in as far as camera techniques concerned and um, had them film a scene. And then I had another group of actors who filmed the scene who know nothing about what I, what I teach. And then I had an audience above a hundred people watch the two scenes and I gave them a clicker. And then I asked them, look, when you no longer seem interested or your mind starts to drift and think about something else that's not related to what's on the screen, if you can, hit your clicker. So the group that I didn't work with had over 100 clicks, and my group only had three. Hmm. So the people who were not physically stable and weren't conscious of learning to relax and keep your eyes visible they lost. They lost the audience's interest. Yeah. I'll tell you who I learned that from. I learned that from Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick, the famous director who did like 2001. I had dinner with him one night with Terry Gilliam. Anyway, I I said, look, it seems like you really think eyes are important because when I was watching 2001, you even had a special lens for close-ups so that we just saw almost nothing but eyes. And he made a big smile and he said, you're on to something. (sighs) That's exactly what I think. And he learned that from, uh, you know, for years and years and years, he was a photographer, a still photographer for Life magazine before he became a film director. And he just kind of discovered that it was the pictures were more interesting to him when he could see the actor's eyes or see his subject's eyes. I mean, it's what it's what keeps the audience engaged when they can see your eyes. I think it's the it's it's one A and one B is your voice. Yeah. Yeah, say that a little louder for the people in the back. One <laughs> <laughs> A is stillness and eyes and uh, commitment to revealing your eyes at all times. And B is the voice. Yeah. And I think it's it's close to being a tie. And isn't that interesting that there's, the, the, certainly I have my own opinion, but I've heard you talk about the eyes and the soul. And I talk about the voice as the revelation of the soul. Isn't it interesting that we want to disconnect with our eyes and our voice the most. And it's a protection mechanism to keep us safe, to keep people out. I don't want you to know who I really am, even though I want you to know who I really am. Yeah. Well, there's there's many, many, many famous acting schools in England and they're all great, but they don't teach camera technique because they think the theater is the is the thing well theater you can be big okay you can you can be a little more physical and all that but it's a big wide stage but the camera is this okay Mm -hmm. it's very intimate okay very very intimate and anyway so those schools in england they all have voice classes because they think it's important and they all have Alexander technique classes. And uh, not a lot of stuff uh, dealing with camera technique because for them, the theater is the purity part, you know, doing a stage play. So I think it's critical to develop your voice. We, we call it, uh, Jerry and I, oh, my buddy who's a coach in Ireland, we call it accessing your singing voice. Right. 
Right. Which is the, which is what I call the real voice. Yeah. You, you said something I wanted to, Oh, I know what I wanted to circle back to on this. You have, I've heard you talk before and, and that, and I know you're going to have to come to the workshop to learn all these things. Steve can teach you how to do all these things, but I've heard you talk about cause the, for the actor, but this is also, there's a correlation, getting the people to lean into you, to come into you. And, and, and it's through the eyes. I've heard, I've heard you talk about where you want them to lean into the camera. You bring them to you. And I talk about that in relation to being the expert. The expert doesn't have to rush through. The expert doesn't have to get to the other side. The expert doesn't have to hope they're getting the words right. The expert stands and owns and draws people in. Draws, draws the key. Draw. Think, okay. You just got to think of yourself as a drawing mechanism, not a pushing mechanism. When you push, you're working too hard. Yeah. When you try to just relax and, and take the world to you, then it's, it's, it has an effect of likability. It has an effect that shows up on the camera as real. But when you're pushing, you mm -hmm. know, and it's a grip. You, know, you just, you're, you're self-destructing, in my opinion. Yeah. You have to be a real relaxed person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's hard for people. I talk in words like grip and push, push versus pull, grip versus no grip, stop kinking the garden hose. But I want to go back to the, the story about heat. And I want you to tell the second part of that story about when y'all filmed that scene and, and, and everybody was like, what, what is happening here? What is going on? Because, yeah. it's, it, because it speaks to unpredictability and unpredictability is something I talk about that there's so much magic in. And if I'm not trying to control every single solitary thing, like what you think, I have the power to be unpredictable, which draws you in. Well, I think. You know, the scene you're talking about is when he had to film the scene with all the other bad guys in the movie that yes. are in the same room. Yes. So, uh, like I said before, I'd gotten a call the night before he Conning wanted to discuss it. And I just, my encouragement to him was, no, stay on this level of playfulness, relaxation. While you're filming, let the moments happen. Let the surprises. Because if, if you do something that even surprises you, where did that come from? Then the person listening to you or watching you is going to be surprised. So the more of those little surprises you can create for yourself is good. It's more interesting. And so I, to me, what, what the bottom line is, Heath didn't rehearse or pretend uh, to repeat anything that he'd already thought of. So he went into that scene completely relaxed and it's kind of like, okay, let's just see what happens. Mm. And then whatever starts to happen, I'll play off of that and see what gets manufactured within me. So he was in a pretty much a total state of uh, relaxation. So the more the scene got along, the more the actors that were working with him were frustrated because it was so good. Mm. And they were like, what, what is Heath doing, you know? And I even got a call from one of the actors in the scene after he got filming. He, th he thought we had done some kind of voodoo. <laughs> and, but you could actually see the other actors, because they couldn't cut it all out in the editing. You can see the actors overacting, trying to mm -hmm. top him. 
And when the actor that I knew really well called me and asked me what Heath was doing, I said, he's doing nothing until it happens. <laughs> oh, so powerful. So, so powerful for an entrepreneur or a professional. One of the things I see them classically doing, and it's one of the greatest downfalls, is I got to be in that outcome. I got to control that outcome. I got to get this thing where I want it to go rather than trusting it is going to go where you want it to go. You're not creating any surprises that way. And if you're not surprised, the audience won't be surprised. You got to create little moments that even surprise you because that's where the magic is. That to me, that's when it gets interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what you're calling surprises. I would call emotional connection. You mm. have a moment of surprise. I have a moment of surprise. Oh, look, we actually feel the same. We're the same. You get me. And for an entrepreneur that is not bringing those moments to their ideal client, their ideal client is going, I don't know. I'm kind of looking for somebody that does this, this, and this. Well, they do this, this, and this. They just didn't reveal it. Right. Well, you know, it's, this is related. Uh, uh, what happens a lot of times when actors, um, they have to audition. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, to me, what happens is in the audition is if you can create some of those surprises, you're probably going to get the job because you're doing something that nobody else that's auditioned has done. Because what I'm used to, and I get called in to consult on casting situations, I see it over and over and over again, where the next first 20 guys in all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then here comes somebody who just does something that isn't on the paper, that just happened to happen, relaxed in the moment, playful, new ideas are coming up, and that's the person that gets the job. In other words, that's the person that connected with the people in the room. Yep. New ideas out of the box. Yeah. Well, and also what I hear in that that is so important, especially for entrepreneurs, is they go into comparison. They go, oh, well, Judy's doing opening her video like that. I guess I better do it. Or, you know, I I get so tired of hearing people come to me and say, well, everybody said I have to talk fast to captivate the listener. Well, okay, first of all, what do you your own thing? <laughs> Second of all, that's a lie. Ask me what I think about that, right? And that's what I hear you saying in that just because the most successful entrepreneur on the block is doing X doesn't mean you have to do it. What do you want to do? Who are well, you? Right. One of the co- one of the common denominators of all my guys is they have pretty interesting personalities mm. in real life. They have yeah. pretty so how do you develop that? How do you increase your personality power? The thing that I see as a common denominator is they all travel a lot and gain new experiences on a constant basis. So they're getting fresh data. They're getting fresh experiences. And they're always reading a book. Mm. Mm-hmm. All, my, all my people that I've worked with through the years, I've always been fascinated by the fact they're always reading a book for new information about life, yeah. which adds texture to their personalities. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, they're not copycats. Your people aren't copycats. You know how unusual it is that anybody has a book in their hands anymore? Oh, I know. <laughs> I know, right? They're watching yeah. movement. They're watching videos and things. 
Well, I think that my entrepreneur, I think entrepreneurs are probably more inclined to be reading books, but the normal popular, you know, the typical, not normal, that wasn't the right word, but the average is probably not with a book in their hand. You know, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I was in broadcasting for almost 20 years, okay, as a radio announcer, as a programming person. And I only, uh, I probably had seven or eight radio stations or companies that I worked for. Uh, only two or three of them were really successful, really successful. And I started thinking about why were we successful at those two or three? And I'll give you a story. The one that I was the most successful at was when the man hired me, he said, okay, uh, I'm going to, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to send you on vacation for two weeks. (laughs) Wow. That's not who does that. So he sends me to, he sends me to this beautiful beach resort for two weeks. Oh my gosh. He said, all I ask is that you every once in a while when you're sitting there on the beach, see if you can think up an idea that might help us. Some kind of theme or programming idea or whatever it is, right? So I'm thinking, you know what? Uh, who sends you on a two-week beach resort vacation before you start working for them? You know, all expenses paid. Wow. So that guy was a pretty exceptional boss. But then as I got to know him better, he treated everybody that way. He was out of the box doing things like that out of nowhere that were unexpected. And you just, everybody wanted to work their butt off for this guy. And in the end, this radio station became 10 times worth its value on his original purchase. And we had the highest ratings and everybody was happy, but it's because of that boss Mm -hmm. being likable, being inspirational. Yeah. You you got a boss that you don't, everybody doesn't like. How does that work? It doesn't. You're not getting the most out of everybody. Mm -mm. And that's, and that's a lot. That's also another thing that comes up as a theme in that book. I mentioned it's your shift. Oh, really? That guy, that Captain Abershoff, he ended up with the highest re-up percentages of anybody in the Navy. Oh, wow. Well, you know, one of the things that I thought about when you were telling that story is he clearly made the people around him feel like they were a part of it. Exactly. Part of the experience. And I think that becomes really important. I can hear it vocally when you're letting me in or not, when you're letting me be a part of it or not. But I think that's in this bucket is, and that's about control. And that's about trusting, trusting and relaxation is connected to trust. And and I think that this is this, it's a foundation that, that builds what you, what you're talking about here, relaxation, trusting, you're going to have the words getting out of the box. It's, it all goes together. We, we need all of it. I think. Well, the, that movie that I did called The Fisher King with Terry Gilliam, you had a certain date you had to have the movie finished mm-hmm. with under a certain budget, right? And we came up on the last day and it was obvious that we, we needed another 12 hours of work or we weren't going to finish some important stuff. But that would have put us a day over and over budget. And so 
the crew started talking about this. So instead of ending our day at six or seven o'clock at night, everybody volunteered to work for free for the next 12 hours. Now, the only way that happens is if they like the boss. Yeah. Now they got paid in the end, but they didn't, but their offer was to work for free. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole, and there was not one person that, you know, was, you know, not going to do it. They all, everybody was, they liked the boss. Yeah. You know, something else about that story that I hadn't thought about until you just said that, what you just said, but I think it's invaluable for me to touch on it for entrepreneurs. When you put that FedEx suit on and when you got that letterhead (laughs) and when you did all of that, that is what we could call a risk. You weren't, now maybe you were, maybe you were afraid. I don't think you were, but a lot of times we get bogged down in, I don't want to bother people. I don't think they'd like that. I, and I think that that's a part of it. I'm going to get a FedEx suit. And I, and I mean, that's thinking outside of the box, but it's also being brave and trying new things and try and, and putting yourself out there mm-hmm. for the possibility of rejection, for the possibility you couldn't have. I don't think that it was ever in your mind what was going to come out of that. I mean, maybe it was, but I, it just seems to me like you took the next right action that you you took a risk. You did it. I was willing to out. do that. Yeah. You were willing to go there. Yeah. Well, one of the things that happened to me really in the beginning of my acting career was I went on an audition for uh, a commercial chain of restaurants in the South called Crystal Restaurants. And I used to be in an improv comedy group. And this is where the audience yells out, do this, do that. And then you make a scene out of it, Mm -hmm. right? And try to make them laugh. Well, somebody said, do a Jewish cowboy campfire scene one night when I was up there. So in our prop box where we had all the toys and stuff, I would I grabbed a stick horse and then we made a scene out of it. And the audience thought it was funny. And so about three weeks later, I had an audition where I had to ride a horse and drive a car through the river and blah, blah, blah. This guy was going to do anything to get to this restaurant. So I walked in with a cowboy outfit on, or like a 1950s cowboy outfit with my stick horse between my legs. <laughs> <laughs> and I did the commercial that way, which is... Oh, wow. Which is, you know, who would do that? You know, nobody would right. put a, put walk the plank and go out that far out to be dare to be stupid. <laughs> right. Dare to be stupid, dare to take a chance. Well, I got a call to do eight years of work for those guys. Oh, wow. So that is so powerful for, for the listeners, because that's another thing I see a lot is fear overtakes them in trusting their gut or taking the action or getting the stick course or putting on the FedEx outfit. I mean, those are just examples of doing the video or not doing the video. Well, I'll wait and do the video. No, you're not going to wait and do the video. You're not going to wait and start the podcast. You got to get your stick horse now. Is what is what I hear in that now more than ever. I I think you have to think of a creative solution, Mm -hmm. and it it has. And and if you let if you let your brain go down that road, why not this? Why not that? What about this? What about that? With no judgment or fear. Yeah, I mean uh, the worst actors in the world 
are the ones that are judging themselves as they do it. Oh, right. That's like a speaker analyzing themselves as they're speaking. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> Talk about stiff and technical and screwing yeah, the whole thing it's up. It's the worst. Yeah, the worst. absolutely. One of the most interesting guys I ever worked for was Ted Turner. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, that was an out of the box thinker, Ted Turner. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I used to be a booth announcer for Ted's TV station when it was just a UHF station, the TBS place, you know, back before it was like national. But, you know, Ted was the one who thought, well, why don't I bust by this UHF TV station that nobody watches? And then why don't I go buy the Atlanta Braves and put all their games on TBS? <laughs> yeah. That's he was the first one to do that, have a channel for a baseball team. Yeah. Exclusive. Wow. Ted was, you know, the one who was like up uh, he, he, when he was doing the America's Cup race. He wanted to watch the news in the middle of the night, but nobody did news in the middle of the night. So he and his team came up with CNN. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's all this stuff over and over that Ted did through his life that was just, he was out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. Always. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not, it's a great thing. Well, I think if you want to just get a simple analysis of how to start thinking that way, just read that book called The Whack on the Side of the Head. Mm, okay. You know, the, back, the book that's written by Dr. Oaks out of Berkeley, who wrote this book about how in our education, it starts in our educational system where everything has to have a right and wrong answer. Mm -hmm. And as little kids, we show up in those classrooms in kindergarten, first grade, second grade with all these questions. And we have this innate ability at that age to question everything. Right. But they were said, no, this is the right answer to that. Mm. There's only one answer. Well, yeah, right. So we're programmed to follow the trail. Yeah, want to get things instead right. Instead of hanging, instead of hanging a right and going through the woods and into the swamp. <laughs> yeah, which was what we really need to do. You know, creative thinking is not something we're really good at teaching. No, <laughs> no, yeah. no. But if if there are of all the people that are creative beyond creatives, it's entrepreneurs. They are out-of-the-box thinkers. And, and here you've gotten your permission slip today to think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. And, and we're going to, you know, we're going to be doing a workshop. We're going to be talking to these things. We're going to be teaching to these things. We're going to, Steve's going to really bring his magic. And we're going to look at how to get you still on camera, how to get your eyes working for you, how to do that relaxation that eludes so many of us. We're going to be doing this in June. The link is in the bio. If you, it doesn't matter, you know, it, it, you can think this is for entrepreneurs. This is for action. No, 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 no. This is for anybody who wants better connection, wants to make a bigger impact, wants to command the space, wants to finally feel confident enough to show up as who they really are. That's what this workshop is about. Well, I think I think where the uh, the help can come is for me to get involved with guys who are doing it and analyzing their yes. what they're doing on camera 
if there's one thing that has it's been said about me is that when I watch somebody work, I'll have three really good ideas how to make it better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. and that, and that's just exactly what I do. People say, do you need a little time? No, I've already got it. I got six things right here that are costing you. And so it is going to be very interactive workshop. We're going to look at footage ahead of time. We're going to do hot seat. You're going to put people in the hot seat. We're going to look at the footage and say, okay, this, this, and this is costing you. Let's try this. And then we film it again. Well, and, and, and I, again, I hope it hasn't passed by here. I think the voice is critical. And I think that's one of your great gifts is you can help someone with that. I mean, you're, you're gifted in many ways, but the voice is absolutely critical on having a connectivity to an audience via a camera. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there, they are parallel. Movement. I'll tell you a, a quick little story. Just, and then, uh, well, I was asked secretly by one of the, uh, what well, guy? I can't think of the show now. The American singing show. Uh, American Idol. American Idol. Yeah. One of the coaches secretly asked me to watch their contestants that they had picked to work with. Oh, interesting. And of course, everybody loves to close their eyes when they sing. Yep. And I said, have that person keep their eyes open. And Don't close. Everything. They won. They won. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the only reason they had talent. But still, but if that you, was a but huge if, difference. I think it was, I think it made a huge impact on connectivity to the people picking up the phone and calling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what these things that we're talking about today do. I have seen even incredibly successful eight figure entrepreneurs go to another level because there's always another level. There's always another level of connection and getting better and making the impact and touching the lives that you were here to touch. And that's what this is about. And I don't, you know, I've said this to you many times and, and I've, I'm so glad you're, you're going to do this with me and, and you're interested and, and intrigued with all of this, but there is nobody in the entrepreneurial or professional space that is doing what Steve does. There's no, oh, you're just looking for someone to share the blame with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't think of anybody better to share it with. <laughs> well, it'd be my pleasure. It's going to be great. It's going to be unique. It's going to be game changing. And I'm going to be talking about it again in the solo shows, reminding you to get signed up. There are going to be just a few VIP spaces available. You want to grab those. Go to the link in the bio. It's down there. Get signed up. You really don't want to miss this. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time and for sharing so much of your wisdom with the listeners. Are you been, have you been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. You are. You have so much wisdom to share. <laughs> I think we can uh, learn just from hearing your stories. Stories I have. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a great... I've had a really great life. I'm very blessed. You you really have. You really have lived and are living your best life. And it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome to have you over here in our space. And, and I look forward to doing these workshops and classes and everything with you. It's going to be incredible. Anything you want to leave us with? You know, there was a guy who played tennis every weekend. 
Uh, he loved, that's what he lived for. He just loved playing tennis on the weekends. And there was a uh, big rainstorm that washed out his tennis game. And he was like, okay. So then he goes, I guess I'll watch TV. And then he started to think, what else could that thing do? And that was Bushnell, who invented the first video game of oh, tennis. Wow. To call, you oh. know, was it Pong or yeah. something like that? Yeah. Wow. So there's a guy who, out of disappointment, started thinking out of the box and came up with I'm, what I'm sure which was a huge moneymaker for him. Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine. I can only Just imagine. another another example of someone who said, okay, let's see what else can happen here. Yeah. Well, and another example of things aren't happening to us. They're happening for us. Can, yeah, sure, for sure. Right. If we'll let them. If we'll, <laughs> if we'll relax. If we just relax. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I can't wait to bring this to life with all the people that are listening that are going to come and join the workshop. But thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for asking me. Have a nice day, a nice weekend, and I'll see you outside the box. Yeah, outside <laughs> the box. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. And thank you, listeners. Thank you for being here. And you know how much I value and appreciate you, but I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. And I'll plan to see you at the workshop. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at captivatetheroom.com and be sure to grab the voice formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes.